0: Thank you for remaining standing as we now turn our attention to the reading of God's word here from Galatians chapter 5. Today's message will come from verses 19 through 21, but I'm going to back up a bit to verse 13 and read down through verse 21. Hear now the word of God For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. (coughs) This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before your word now, we ask for... Humble and teachable hearts that are open to the light of your truth. We ask for faith to be able to hear and read your word with understanding and conviction. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower the preaching of your word, that it may go forth and render specific application to us individually and to us corporately as the body of Christ Jesus. This we pray with both hope and confidence for we ask in His powerful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> as we continue working our way through Galatians, we find ourselves here in chapter 5 in another one of Paul's lists. <coughs> we read one of the lists there from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we meditated upon it earlier and also from Ephesians 5. And so, as we consider this list of the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21, by way of outline, I would like to uh, open this morning with some thoughts, some thoughts to help us get oriented to the list. And, And then we will work our way through the list one by one, and I will conclude with a summary. Having just exhorted the church to walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Paul now goes on to bring further clarity to his teaching and to provide the Galatians and, and by extension, the, the universal church, heritage church. He provides the church through the ages a list of what it means to fulfill the lust of the flesh. This list of the works of the flesh contains 17 sins. But we know that this is not an exhaustive list because it concludes the list with and such like. As (laughs) spirit-filled Christians, we are to read and understand a list like this and glean a generalized principle being communicated and not not treat it as a checklist to work through and say, I'm good, I haven't done that, or that, or that. But we love lists, don't we? We like to be told where the boundaries are. Sometimes we like to push right up to the edge of the boundary, but there are principles at work here. And so if we train our hearts and yield to the leading of the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, we will see that these 17 works of the flesh, along with the innumerable other works of the flesh, exactly for what they are, which is sin. And they become less and less a temptation to us and a challenge for us. (coughs) However, as fallen creatures living in a fallen world, sometimes the error is so vast and the corruption is so deep and we become catechized by the culture (coughs) to think that up is down, evil is good, boy is girl, and the list goes on. And so as we we find that it, things get so turned upside down, we can benefit from a list to stop and think for a moment, what is the right side up? And it helps us to train our minds in the right way to see and think about the world. And I think that's what Paul is doing here in this list. Being born as descendants of Adam, we inherit the Adam's fallen flesh, but as sons of God, we are given a new life with new desires, which are subject to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. It is the natural born flesh, the old man within us that urges us to give way to evil deeds. And so by way of contrast, it is the spirit living within that produces good fruit as we covered last time, there is a conflict. There is a battle within that is described in Galatians 5:16 and through 18. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Before we were regenerated and given new hearts, the flesh is in control. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord of our lives, we are called to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word walk here is in the present tense and it speaks of a regular, continuous, ongoing action In other other words, we are to conduct ourselves day by day, hour by hour, in accordance with the directives of the Holy Spirit. Only when one is born of the Spirit and is yielded to the Spirit's leading will the individual become victorious over the pull of the flesh nature. A holy life is never achieved by our own efforts through our own strength. It is produced as we yield to the inward leading of the indwelling Holy Spirit. No person can be better outwardly than he is inwardly. He may be able to hide his evil desires for a season, but eventually the works of the flesh will become manifest and evident by their outward action as we read here. So as we consider this list of the works of the flesh, I think it would be helpful to group them into four categories of sins. For those who have a fondness for alliteration, I give you a little help here, I've listed them as the four I's. Number one, we have a group of the sins of impurity. Secondly, the sins of idolatry. Thirdly, the sins of indignation. And finally, the sins of intemperance. So without further ado, let's, let's go ahead and look at this first grouping of sins which I've labeled the sins of impurity. These sins include adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. These are works of the flesh. There is, there is no room for compromise in any sin But it is especially clear here to our minds. Immorality should have no place in the Christian life and in pagan cultures of the ancient world and also in the atheistic humanism of the modern world. These vices are practiced everywhere we look by rulers, by the philosophers of the age, by poets, priests, and the common man with no sense of shame, And no sense of remorse. In fact, they were and are, in some circles, commended and celebrated. The first of these is adultery. (coughs) It speaks of illicit sexual relations on the part of those who are married. Leviticus 18.20 spells it out plainly for us. Thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. And Hebrews 13:4 declares, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Adultery encompasses not only the physical form prohibited in Leviticus 18, but the Lord taught us that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. We therefore see that we can commit emotional adultery and mental adultery. When God established marriage, He designed that one man should live with one woman and the two should become one flesh. We are not to trivialize the violation of the marriage union. And we are not to trivialize the breaking of marriage vows. The sin of adultery is not a trivial matter. God will judge. So men, train your minds to delight in the beauty of your wife. Never linger over those provocative ads that come across your computer screen. Don't give temptation a toehold. Flee and seek the help of the Holy Spirit. The second on our list is fornication. It speaks of illicit sexual relations among the unmarried. Couples that live together like husband and wife before marriage are living in fornication. Prostitution is a professionalized form of fornication. And this was a problem Paul had to address with the church in Corinth. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. And he continues, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. The exhortation is to flee fornication, and it is plain. Many in our culture today are eager to declare and promote all sorts of forms of fornication. It is a lie. Flee fornication. Know deep within your heart that all forms of fornication are are a sin before our holy God, and it is fraught with all sorts of peril to your soul. Uncleanness. Uncleanness describes those who may not necessarily commit outward acts of immorality, but whose thoughts and desires are unclean. Uncleanness is viewing or sharing pornography. It is lewd speech or behavior or the telling of suggestive stories. It is all of the attendant behaviors and conduct and outward manifestations of adultery and fornication and lasciviousness. All of those things that attend those particular sins. Flee uncleanness. Lasciviousness speaks of the uncontrolled lust. Individuals can be guilty of uncleanness, but when they become lascivious, they become so immoral that they shock public decency by their conduct. <clears throat> One who becomes lascivious has gone far, far into impurity, so far that he no longer cares what God or what man may think about his actions. A person that is lascivious has been utterly given over to their lust and are shameless and outrageous in their conduct. These are the sins of impurity. Satan is a vicious liar and the father of lies. He has been trying through the ages to stir up wrong sexual desires by implying that the sin of adulterous love is more exciting than true married love. It is the simple man who believes this lie and takes the foolish woman. As we read in Proverbs 9, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost, and so sexual sin deeply grieves the Holy Spirit. Never think that these sins of impurity are no longer an issue for you. Guard your hearts and minds. Walk in the Spirit and flee the sins of impurity. Second grouping is the sins of idolatry. The works of the flesh include this second category. And idolatry is one of those on the list. It is the act of giving something other than the true and living God the principal place of our affections. Most people in our society do not worship gods of wood or stone. But it's easy enough for us to set our affection on gods of chrome and steel and glass. Some worship the gods of pleasure and material things. Some worship social status, friendships, entertainments, or even their beauty. Some worship health and some set their affections upon and find their security in their wealth. As John Calvin rightly said, the human heart is an idol factory. I suspect that if we were really to study (coughs) the depths of idolatry, we would be surprised and overwhelmed at the idols we find in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12. A certain rich man was prospering, financially more and more each year. His barns were full. He was a good man. He was an outstanding farmer, but he was preoccupied with material things. And as he was making plans to tear down the old barns and build new barns, and he was contemplating these things, finding comfort and ease for his soul in those storehouses, God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy, thy soul shall be required of thee then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? How is this an example of idolatry? Wasn't he just being a wise farmer and a good steward? Contemplate that. Go back and read that parable and think about idolatry in that context. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is listed in this group. And it's translated from the Greek word pharmakeia. I think we need to probably, when we read the word witchcraft, understand the Greek behind it in this case. And it refers to the use of drugs, poisons, sorcery, and magical arts that are found in connection to idolatry. We often think of witchcraft involving those who claim to have superhuman powers or the abilities to cast spells or use magic, and attain secret knowledge <coughs> gleaned from evil spirits. And these practices were widespread in the pagan cultures, and we know that Israel was prohibited from allowing sorcerers and spiritists and mediums, necromancers and the, and the like in their midst. So as Christians today, we can read a term like witchcraft and, and go right past that without pausing to think, I wonder where... In my life, might I find witchcraft, pharmakeia. I think that it is often renamed and disguised under New Age labels or alternative medical practices and various forms of meditation and visualization. To give but one example, some Christians have embraced Native American and Eastern mysticism unwittingly. They have used essential oils along with massage techniques and these mystical rituals in an effort to achieve harmony, enlightenment, and balanced chakras, whatever that is. We are not to dabble in these practices, whatever name they go by. Beware. Turn up your awareness as you consider something that doesn't feel quite right. Ask yourself... Would I be comfortable in participating in this with the Lord standing beside me? The forms that pharmakeia can take are many, so be discerning. Walk in the Spirit and seek counsel if you are uncertain. Our third grouping is the sins of indignation. And I may have stretched that word a little bit to get it to start with an I. Maybe hatred (laughs) would be a better word. Many of the sins of indignation are closely related, and it is the largest grouping of sins that Paul here provides. So I'll only touch briefly on each one. Hatred is the first one. Hatred is a strong dislike, a feeling of ill will toward another person. The Apostle John declares, Whosoever hateth this brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. For some, hatred is a way of life. Such persons, if hatred is a way of life, are essentially murderers, even though they may never have committed the overt act of murder. Be very careful of ever hating another person, especially a brother or sister in Christ. Variance. Variance speaks of disputes and quarrels that cause discord among the brethren. In many and various ways, we as church members are simply not used, easy to get along with. Our personalities can rub others the wrong way. And on top of that, we can be touchy and easily offended. And some of us are stubborn and bullheaded and just plain contrary. May the Lord deliver us from these carnal characteristics as we walk with the Spirit and the Spirit sanctifies us. We are to be peacemakers and easily entreated. I urge us all to be charitable and understanding toward one another when we feel this welling up within us. A word we don't often use is emulations. It's a term that speaks of those who desire to surpass and outdo others. The Greek word behind emulations is zelos, and it, it can denote both virtue and vice. It is it is used sometimes to mean zeal and enthusiasm of pursuing a noble task. That which is good, to have a right zeal. But here, it speaks primarily of a begrudging resentment <coughs> that envies the good fortune of others. Oh, that we would rejoice with those who are rejoicing and not step back and say, Oh, I wish that were me. Wrath. Wrath speaks of violent forms of anger. It is storms of uncontrolled temper. It pictures a person who loses control when the weed eater won't start. I might be getting personal here. Or the fish won't bite, or the meals aren't already on time, or, or you're running late, or or your particular whatever your particular button issue. We all have our buttons, and they're those things that send us off toward the path of wrath far too easily. The husband who steps out of the room and slams the door behind him because something doesn't suit him is displaying this sort of temper. This conduct indicates that he is in the grip of the old man in that moment. Humility and repentance are called for. Where wrath is found. Our next word is strife. It's translated from the Greek word, which means office seeking or canvia, canvassing for an office. It describes those who would like to be elevated to a position of responsibility within the church, not so much for the service they can render, but for the prestige it might bring. The mother of the sons of Zebedee in Matthew 20 manifested this spirit when she requested that her sons would be granted a position on either side of the Lord in his kingdom. May the Lord protect us from the sin of strife within this body. Seditions. Sedition speaks of divisions. Once again, the Greek word refers to any commotion within the church that causes what we would commonly refer to as church splits. Now, no doubt there are times when separation from an errant church would be right and good, but in most cases, our primary duty, the primary duty of every Christian is to serve faithfully right where he is. The most deplorable splits are those resulting from personality conflicts within the church. Where there are seditions, the unity and fellowship of the local body of Christ is fractured. The testimony of the congregation in Christ's name in the community is marred. This divisive tendency is the result of choosing to walk in the way of envy and bickering rather than in the royal road of love, forgiveness, and understanding. Our next word is is heresies. These are ideas or schools of thought that are contrary to the true doctrines of the Christian faith. The flesh, I believe, has a Gnostic desire for special knowledge that can lead us easily in the direction of heretical teaching. All Christians need to take a lesson from the Barans, who <coughs> search the Scriptures daily to find out whether the things being taught were so. This is one remedy to the sin of heresy. Envyings refer to a Resentful desire for another person's possessions or advantages. It is closely related to the word emulations we spoke of just a moment ago. One major difference between the two words is that envy is always, always bad. Whereas emulations are not. There is no good way to be filled with envy. Whereas someone struggling with emulation may resent the good fortune of others, the envious person being considered here by this sin, is so resentful that he may plot to destroy that other person or undermine the blessings he is envious of. And the last <clears throat> sin listed under this label is murders. Murder Murders is a reminder that the snuffing out of a human life involves more than sticking a knife into another person. <coughs> It is possible to cast looks that are filled with murder and to speak words that are intended to slay. This is something that flows out of the heart of man and as such defiles the man, the Lord teaches us in Matthew 15:19. So the sins labeled as hatred, wrath, and strife, and envying, envying and seditions are sins of indignation ire and hostility. The ultimate corrective for strife and hatred and violence is a genuine love for fellow Christians. We need to join Alexander White, a Scottish pastor of the late 19th and early 20th century, in a prayer that he often prayed. O God, let it not be ill with me when it is well with others. Let me have the Holy Spirit, a fresh anointing of His presence and power, to promote my brother's good, a good prayer for us. In our fourth category, our final category are the sins of intemperance. And this is on the list of flesh, and it is what I'm. Would it had two terms in this category, and I think their meanings are obvious, but we're going to go through them anyway. First of all, drunkenness. Drunkenness is a condition caused by drinking alcoholic beverages to excess. The reference is used to an intoxicated with strong drink. Drunkenness, we need to remember, is not a disease. It is instead a devastating sin. When the judgment day comes, the lame excuse which says that alcoholism is a disease I do not believe will pass. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, the drunkard is listed in Scripture along with thieves, extortioners, Sodomites is those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is a destroyer of marriages, a wrecker of lives, a siren call to ever greater sin, and it is a shameful and degrading work of the flesh. As such, it obviously has no place in the life of a Christian. And our final term is revelings. It's associated with carousing and debauchery. The Greek word also indicates wild parties and horsing around. Revelings refers to disorderly merrymaking, including celebrations that are typical at wild parties. The term speaks of engaging in loose, loud, frivolous, and boisterous behavior. And Homer helps us here and defines the term as a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity, and sing and play before the houses of their friends. And so we have a picture of revelings. And we need to know that to enter into revelings is both foolish and sinful. And Paul, as I mentioned earlier, concludes with the words, And such like. This is an indication that the list is not exhaustive. There are other sins that could be added here. There are many other works of the flesh similar to those given in verses 19 through 21 that are just as nefarious as the 17 sins listed in the text. And Paul also goes on to teach us that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to pause there on the verb do. That verb being translated do means habitually continue or repeatedly practice these fleshy sins rather than an isolated falling into sin. Those who keep practicing such sins are not being led by God's Spirit and are warned that they shall not inherit God's kingdom. There is a difference between falling into sin through carelessness and living in sin as a settled choice of life or some sort of indifference to the sin. True children of God hate these sins and shrink from them. And if they do yield to, to temptation, they are in misery until they have confessed the sin and cried to God for His mercy. I think at this point it is helpful to consider one of Paul's other lists that we've already (coughs) meditated upon at the opening of this service. A list with quite a bit of overlap with the list we find here in Galatians, but it also includes an encouraging reminder. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. For the washed, sanctified, and justified sinner who has personal familiarity with one or more of these works of the flesh, these are not descriptive of who he is, but who he was. The old man may occasionally cry out for and lust after these sins, but Christ has won the victory and has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us for the battle." (coughs) And we can see we can see that the Holy Spirit uses pastors like Paul and our spirit-filled brothers and sisters here in this congregation to continually encourage us in the battle, reminding us again and again of the pitfalls of sin that are all around us. Speaking of these things, Paul said, "...of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past." Exhortation in holy living is not a once and done matter. We need a continual telling and retelling, a re exhortation in holy <coughs> living. And your <coughs> brothers and sisters are there to help me. Marion is here to help you, and we are here to help one another. And remember, the way to gain increasing victory over the works of the flesh is found back in verses 16 and 18, where we are admonished to walk in the Spirit and to be led of the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit, for it is the Spirit that produces humility. It is the Spirit who produces purity. It is the Spirit who produces contentment and faith and good works and who makes makes us different from the world and separates us from sin. It is the Spirit who produces love and joy and peace and wisdom and makes the truth known to us. So the sum of it all is walk in the Spirit. The answer to overcoming the lust of the flesh is not some practical or mystical philosophy. It is not a methodology or a technique and it is not any form of psychology. It is not some human effort. It is not somebody's good idea or someone's clever plan. It is not somebody's well-considered system of habits and practices. The way you overcome driving, compelling desires of the lust of the flesh is simply by walking in the Spirit. You can take all of the exhortations in Christian living and reduce it to this one imperative. You can take all of the commands of the New Testament and reduce them to this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the lust or desires of the flesh. That's it. That's victory. The flesh wants to control you. It will have you think wrong thoughts. It will create anger, hostility, bitterness, jealousy, envy, strife. It will make sure that you have a reason to fear. It will make you doubt God. It will take love out of your heart and replace it with hatred. It will lead you to do wrong things and fill your life with guilt. It will destroy your marriage and destroy your home. It will destroy your relationships. And the only hope of overcoming it is to walk in the Spirit. There is no human solution. For a spiritual problem. The only source of spiritual transformation is the Holy Spirit. The only way we can live our lives is on is this very same way that we entered into this new life. We began in the Spirit, and we must live in the Spirit. And as we live in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, which will be the nourishment we need as members of the body of Christ in order to sustain and grow and edify one another as His bride, the church. And this is the topic we will cover in the next message, Lord willing, when we conclude with the text here from Galatians 5 and consider the fruit of the Spirit. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we give You all thanks and glory and honor for Your mighty work of redemption in the lives of Your people. We thank You for saving us out of death and destruction and delivering us unto life and joyful liberty. We pray that You will forgive us our sins and make us eager to forgive those who sin against us. Lead us by Your Holy Spirit and make us fruitful in Your kingdom. Fruitful in Your kingdom according to Your perfect purposes. And so this we pray For the glory of Jesus our Savior. And in His mighty name. Amen.